thank you to my kababata and classmate, Ahe Joshua. So we were classmates in Hope Christian High School. He's a little older than me. A little, months lang po. So welcome to UECP. We are now at the last of our series in the Gospel of Matthew. We have been surveying the Gospel of Matthew for the past two months. And Matthew has been presenting Jesus as this one true king. And that's why lots of prophecies are from the Old Testament and emphasizing also in his Davidic lineage. And I'd like to entitle today's message as Embracing the Call, and we will be visiting a very familiar passage we call the Great Commission, and we have heard it so many times, but have we fully understood it? And so my uh, summary statement goes like this. Jesus commissions his disciples by demanding allegiance, commanding obedience, and encouraging dependence to dispel their doubts and launch them into a global mission to make disciples of all nations. And I'd like you to visit the passage again with me, read through it with me out loud, and picture yourself as one of those disciples on that mountain listening on to this. Let's read. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And verse 21, and surely, and verse 20b, sorry, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, as we revisit these words of Jesus before he ascended to heaven, I pray that you convict us with the same conviction you place in the hearts of the eyewitnesses, the 11, who were there with Jesus on that mountaintop. Lord, speak to us and grip our hearts in such a way that your words have gripped theirs 2,000 years ago. And help us, O God, to embrace the high calling of Christ, our Lord, our King, our God. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So I wonder if you have ever made certain important decisions in life that you call make or break decisions. No? A major decision you have to make, it will cost you a lot, and uh, either you become a complete success or an utter failure. No? These uh, moments of decision are really difficult to make, so you tend to take your time to think through, to pray through, to work through issues before making or choosing. It could be the time you needed to choose a career or change to another career, right? And you wanted to know whether what is the right choice. Or maybe it is whether you will stay in the Philippines or move to another country. Some chose to stay, that's why you're here. Some chose to leave, that's why they're online. Or staying single or getting married to the right or wrong person. There are just so many decisions in our life that we need to make that are 
make or break. But the bottom line here is to answer this question, how much are we willing to take the risk? And if we're willing to take the risk, how much are we willing to accept the consequences of our choice, good or bad? Right? How, may, how willing are we to accept, to take risk and accept those consequences once we made that decision? So in making such decisions, we encounter occasions where we are filled with doubt in our heart. Right? First, we start doubting ourselves. Kaya ko ba yan? Can I do it? Will I succeed if I venture if this, uh, into this? Who am I? What do I have? Right? And another, sometimes we doubt the other party we're talking to. No? That would include uh, the opposite or maybe even God. Right? Are, are they to be trusted? Uh, is the, what they're saying real? Um, can I really depend on that person? Okay? And sometimes we doubt also the instructions or the requirements or the messages we receive. No? Can be, they be followed and are they the correct instructions? Right? And sometimes if you're looking for an uh, uh, airline flight uh, advisory, right? and you chose the wrong year, you end up having the wrong instructions. So we want to make sure. So we are sometimes in that period of decision-making filled with many doubts in our head. Move forward, stay put. Move forward, stay put. And sometimes we got stuck too long that we end up in what we call a spiritual slump, right? Sometimes we call it the status quo, but most often it is an inability to make the choice or unwillingness to make the choice. And year after year after year, we get stuck, right? Larry Laudan, a risk management expert, says that as a rule, Everything in life has risk. Ulita, sabi niya, everything in life has risk. There is no such thing as a risk-free life. Because if you want a risk-free life, probably said you have chosen the wrong species. Not to be, right? You can stay home in bed. But do you know that half a million people in the U.S. are sent to the emergency room simply because they fell out of bed while they were sleeping, right? How about those who want to have their windows closed? Why, uh, you might be one of those 10 people who get ringed on the neck by the strings of their Venetian blinds, right? Or even if you have kept your money in, under your bed instead of putting it in the bank, no? there are many who accidentally there are tens of thousands of people who get to emergency room because of paper cuts from money okay, around the world. So he's saying there is no such thing as a real risk-free life. Whether you stay behind doors or go out in the open, you will always have risk. No? So the slump is not a real option. Because it is only trying to escape the reality of risk. Trying to escape the reality of needing 
to make that choice and face the music. Now, recently, I was booking an airfare overseas, and you know, the airfare was you know 30% less. I said, maybe this is a scam. No? Uh, maybe next week it will be lower. Then the airfare increased by 5,000 the following week. Maybe two weeks after, there will be a sale. No, it increased another 5,000 pesos another week. Every week, it increases by 5,000. Right? So, my conclusion was I should have bought it when I saw the 30% off. But it's, there's no such thing as risk-free. You buy something from Shopee, you might get a rock or the real thing. Right? Sometimes you have it, sometimes you lose it, but you must make the purchase. So why I am saying all of this, brothers and sisters, and heart to heart with you, is that you have to choose what kind of follower of Christ you want to be. You have to choose what kind of disciple of Jesus you would like to be. Will you be a disciple who will be the one who fights for the cause? Will you be the one who is on the front lines you know, of the Great Commission? Or will you be at the sidelines waiting and watching and waiting and watching? What kind of disciple you want to be, brothers and sisters, will determine how you choose your life daily. So mahirap yung tanong, no? Because you have to have this heart-wrenching question. As a follower of Jesus, what kind do you want to be? Right? Will you be at the front lines of the gospel or at the sidelines, watching, waiting, and looking? Right? But if you take seriously the words of Jesus, that he's coming again at any time like a thief in the night, you know that Jesus wants you as a disciple to be on your feet, ready to run at any time, always thinking that we are living in our last day. Right? So that's the kind of disciple Jesus wants us to be. But is that what we want to be? No? So the slump is also probably the psychological state of Christ's disciples then. Right? Why do I say that? Okay, when they receive the Great Commission. So let's look at the passage again in verse 16 and look at it carefully. Read out loud with me so verse 16. Now what could be the heart condition of the disciples then? Okay, let's read. Then... The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Emphasis, but some doubted. Now, after the resurrection, after they met Jesus, they seemed to be doing the right things. First, they followed orders. They were there during the appointment with Jesus at that very same spot above a mountain to meet him face to face. No, they were physically present. Second, they knew who was giving the orders because they were worshiping Jesus. They knew who he was. He's not a mere man. He is the son of God. And yet, 
they are struggling with a crisis of belief, right? They were struggling with a crisis of belief. They, some of them doubted. And we will point fingers at Thomas who doubted. But again, we go to the end no, at the mountain. Still, some doubted. Also, he was not alone. He was just vocal about his concerns. Now, why could they be in such a slump spiritually? Because I guess they have been through an emotional roller coaster ride. No? Can you follow along that uh, mind of thought? The disciples gave their life to follow Jesus. They left everything for Jesus. They believed he was the one he claimed to be, the Son of God. They placed all their hopes in Jesus, and after that, they were experiencing ministry success left and right, people getting healed, no? people turning to God, repenting of their sin, demons being uh, cast away, no? and crowds following. But suddenly, tragedy strikes. Right? Their master was unfairly arrested. Their beloved friend faced trial and execution. They were running for their own lives, hiding. Their Lord went through a public humiliation when he was executed. And so they were never such, experienced such great devastation in their life. In the past, and it happened so fast in a period of days, right? And it could have seen that their faith and hope has died on the cross, right? Everything they hanged on to is all of a sudden gone, right? And they were so devastated and distraught with the series of events that even Jesus appearing before them already several times you know, they can't simply find it real. It's too good to be true that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Kent Crockett, uh, who wrote the 911 handbook, right? 911 handbook, he said, Doubt is not unbelief, but it is also not faith. It is unable to make up its mind what it wants to be. And it's not, neither unbelief nor faith. It's like a hitchhiker who is tumbling, tumbling a, uh, a ride in his hand in one direction, and yet he's also tumbling a ride in the other direction. He simply does not know where he wanted to go. Right? That's the doubt, or probably what we call a spiritual Slump. And likewise, you might be today in some sort of spiritual slump after the pandemic or after facing so many challenges in life. And let me give uh, four things for you to think about. Do you still today carry around a heart and passion for spiritual things? Do you find yourself excited with the Word of God, with prayer, with you know, just being with the Lord. No? Or is your passion for God depleting every day? Then probably you are in a spiritual slump. Do you still care about the spiritual needs of other Christians around you? 
right? Are you still concerned when brothers and sisters need prayer and care or not? If you are not then pro- and you're so focused on your own issues, then probably not only your spiritual passion for God, but your passion for the family of God is also in a slump. Their heart ache for those who still to know, need to know Jesus, right? Or you're just so callous that there are people who don't believe in Jesus in your workplace or in your school or in your community, in your surroundings. Have you lost that passion for lost souls? Maybe you are in a spiritual slump, no? And do you have that kind of desire to help others journey to Christ-likeness, right? Do you have that passion to make disciples? So if you are in a spiritual slump, then I hope you let these three pointers point you back on track. Now, first, when we look at the Great Commission passage, we see that Jesus demanded from his disciples allegiance. Now, Jesus demands our allegiance as well as his disciples. It is a pledge of lifelong loyalty and devotion. That's what allegiance looks like. It is committing to be loyal and devoted to someone or something long-term or maybe even your entire life, right? For example, when you get married, you vow for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer in sickness and in health. That is a pledge of loyalty, a pledge of devotion, lifelong commitment, right? Or if you are um, (coughs) getting citizenship in another country, you have to renounce your loyalty to your previous country and uh, declare your loyalty to your new country. No? So that's a pledge of loyalty and devotion. And changing allegiance is deemed as betrayal or infidelity. No? When we change loyalty, you're looked as a betrayer or you are an infidel. That's what allegiance. And people are not usually good in keeping commitments. Do you agree? People are good in making commitments, but we are not good in keeping them. All promises, no? less action. Now, Jesus said this in verse 18. <clears throat> Jesus said to them in the passage, <clears throat> let's read together. Then the 11 disciples, nah, not that one. Verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, memorize naman, ba? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay? That phrase, an um, emphasis who he is. He is the true king. Okay? He has all the authority in heaven and on earth. He is no longer that savior and teacher they were with he is rightfully no? the creator of the universe the son of god the one who sits on the throne right he was the one who is in charge now i wonder what 
how it helped the doubts of the disciples then, right? That speaking before them and meeting with them is now the one who have the supreme authority over all creation because he is the creator, right? And so he's reminding them who they are speaking with, okay, so that it dispels their doubt. And so they understand why they have to follow orders and listen carefully because he is the highest authority. So the one they're obeying, the one they're following is none else than the resurrected Christ, right? And so if they disobey, there will be also grave consequences. If they obey, there will also be great reward. That's why they need to make a choice. Will they obey or disobey? That's allegiance, right? To be devoted to him and him alone. Now, Kenneth Galbraith was a noted economist in the early 1900s. And many dignitaries called him for financial advice when it comes to the economic market. No, and this is the auto, auto, uh, in his autobiography, he spoke about his housekeeper, Emily. No, it was a tiring day no, in his autobiography. And I asked Emily to hold all the phone calls while I took my nap. And shortly, there the phone rang. President Lyndon Johnson was calling from the White House. Get me Ken Galbraith said Lyndon Johnson. But Emily told him, sorry, he is asleep, Mr. President, and he said, do not disturb him. And so the president said, well, wake him up. I want to talk to him now. But Emily responded, no, Mr. President, I work for Mr. Galbraith. I do not work for you. And so when he called the president back after he woke up, no? He could scarcely control his uh, ano, pleasure, right? The president was laughing on the phone, talking about Emily. And this is what Lyndon Johnson said. Tell that woman who works for you, I want her to work in the White House. Because Emily understood one important truth, that he was a servant to one man, and he needed to follow the orders of that one man and that is what a servant is right and that is what it looks like to submit and serve the one who is of the highest authority so jesus commissions his disciples by demanding their allegiance to dispel their doubts and launch them into the global mission of making disciples of all nations so why obey because the supreme authority of heaven and earth says so. And if we are devoted to Christ, then we will follow. Let me remind you what Jesus said to those who wanted to follow him for the wrong reasons. And it is in Luke 9. For those who want to follow Christ because they want an, uh, a free pass to an easy life. Ito po yung sagot ni Jesus. Right? There was someone along the road and said, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, 
Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. For those who want to follow Christ, when they have nothing else important to do, this is his response, right? One man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, for those who want to follow Christ yet have their own personal ambition on the side or personal agenda, right? Like this one, he said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to them, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Yeah, Jesus really had high standards for his followers. They have to be completely and fully devoted to him. Now, the best way to manifest your allegiance to Christ is through your healthy spiritual walk. Now, how is your spiritual walk? How is your relationship with God? Parang yan sa marriage, right? If your intimacy with your spouse is okay, then it's like a protective shield. No, no infidelity or no temptation gets in the way because of the quality of your relationship. And similarly with God, when you are always at the throne of God, studying His Word, in prayer, drawing close to God, then no, nothing, everything else in the world dims. No, so that's the first thing. Allegiance to God is best seen in the quality of our intimacy with God. Right? The word, the prayer, and the guidance of the Spirit, your daily communion with Him is the best gauge. Yeah, that's the start. Now, not only that, second, Jesus commands obedience. Right? Jesus commands obedience. And He says that it is a natural outcome of their allegiance. <clears throat> Look at the first word of this passage. Therefore. Therefore. And Jesus was telling them, since you fully understand who you are talking, who's giving you the command, then obedience must be the outcome. Okay, let's read this passage together again. Out loud. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now again, we know that in this passage, there are four action words. Go, make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey. But in the original language, there's only one imperative or command, which is, which means making make disciples, right? There's one command, make disciples. And so the three other action words are participles. So it's best translated as going, baptizing, and teaching to obey. Okay, going is wherever they were, they are to make disciples. And that calls for us to win the lost bringing the gospel everywhere we are. 
not needing to go a far away place, but wherever God places you, all your contacts, you are a representative of the gospel. Then second is baptizing them, which is helping them grow in their belief and faith. Because baptism is their uh, allegiance or their declaration that they believe in who Jesus is and what he did. So that's the ministry of building another person in their faith. And the third is teaching them to obey all Christ's command, which is equipping them to be a disciple. Now, going, baptizing, teaching to obey continually, no? because making disciples must become a lifestyle. A lifestyle. Whenever God places you in your workplace, you're making disciples. There's people you are trying to engage spiritually with, winning them to Christ. Those who you want to Christ, you're continually helping them to be rooted in the faith, right? Building them. And those who you're building in the faith, you continue to equip them by helping them grow deeper in their commitment and even in serving God as a way of life. No, so if Jesus is really the master of your life, then we have to do what he expects. Sometimes, no, sakit natin yan, no? Children, when their parents are away, they will be doing something else. But when they hear the voice of their parents coming, they will be doing what the parents ask, right? No, pe- ano, pretending for a while. And then when the parents are out, no, same students to the teachers and sometimes employees and employer. Now we have this tendency to pretend we are pleasing but not really. Right? And so if we are off tangent from Christ's command, then we have to ask the hard question, who are we truly obeying? Roger Staubach, who was a quarterback, no? Uh, who won 1971 Patono, no? quarterback, he admitted that it was his stress in life that he does not call the shots. He's a quarterback. He has to listen to his coach. And Coach Landry has to give him every play, told him when to pass, told him when to run. And only in emergency situations he can change the play. Otherwise, he has to listen to his coach, Right? And the coach was a genius in terms of football strategy, but pride, you know, made this quarterback have a hard time following. So he had the decision to make. Allow my pride to take me the way I want, to call the shots or listen to my coach. And of course, winning the championship, listening to the coach was the choice. And there was harmony fulfillment, and victory, right? Sometimes we want to serve God according to our terms. Lord, I will serve you when I have the time and we never have time. Lord, I will spend more time when life eases out, but it never eases out. And we have this tendency to allow ourselves to make those excuses not to be on par with the expectations of Jesus. But we see Jesus... He demanded obedience. He commanded obedience to his disciples so that they can overcome their doubts and participate in the global mission of disciple 
making. Remember John 14, 21? Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. That's what Jesus told his disciple. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And you remember what happened to Peter and the other disciples in John 21, right? They saw the resurrected Christ and they went fishing. Peter brings six people along fishing and they had a huge catch of fish before they recognized Jesus. And Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Right? And every time Peter said yes, but Jesus' response was, feed my sheep, take care of my lamb, take care of my sheep. In other words, we only truly say we love God if we obey his commands. Right? And it's very clear for the church and for every believer, making disciples is not an option. Making disciples is our duty to our God, right? So, do you love me more than this? That's the challenge. Because truly loving God requires an obedient life. So, are we actively involved in winning souls? How? Where? Are we finding ways to engage the spiritually lost? If not, then how? Where? Are we helping build others in the faith? And are we helping others find their journey towards Christ's likeness increasingly? Right? If, it is, if that's the kind of lifestyle we have, then we're closer to the picture of a disciple Jesus is expecting. Now, but that's, the story does not end here because Jesus encourages dependence for us to keep hanging on to the promises of God and the power of his word. As they give their allegiance and they obey Christ's command, he said, I will be with you always, always, not sometimes, not when you pray, all the time, constant, to the very end of the age, for all time until we meet him. He will not leave us or forsake us. In other words, he was asking his disciples to rely on him as they accomplish the mission of making disciples. I am with you. I am here. And it makes sense when Jesus said, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open because Jesus is constantly going to be there with them. Or when he told his disciples, you do not have because you do not ask. So Jesus is not leaving them out to hang dry on their own. Jesus will be the one sustaining and strengthening them all throughout. No? Some translation says, and lo, or behold, or look to Jesus, because he will be with us always. So dependence 
on Christ. And this reminds me of a favorite passage, Psalm 23. No? The relationship of the shepherd and the sheep. The relationship between God and his people. Now, the sheep can do nothing on their own. They're uh, vulnerable, easily attacked. They get lost. Okay, kaya, diba? And they're easily confused. So they need a shepherd to guide them, right? And let me read Psalm 23, and if you can recite. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Again, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the kind of dependence God desires from his people, right? To live a life completely dependent on God, a God who provides, a God who preserves, a God who protects, a God who fulfills all his promises, a God who is always with you. His presence and his power and his peace overflowing. This is what Jesus meant when he said, I am with you always. Right? And so, as a response, we need to desire to be what God intends us to be. We have such a wonderful Savior. Though He calls our allegiance and obedience, no, He is the God who promises no, that we can depend on Him to bear much fruit. That's why He said, Abide in me and let my words abide in you, and you will bear much fruit. Bear much fruit in our discipleship, our journey with the Lord, and in the disciple making, being involved in the ministry of winning, building, and equipping others, right? As if we're looking up to someone and becoming more and more like him, that's why a phrase says, we become like the one we worship, right? It's not becoming God, it's becoming like God in his character and his priorities, right? So this is the idea. Now, Brian Loritz was talking to a young atheist who attended his church who wanted a reason to believe in Christ. And he described himself that as an atheist, he was an unfulfilled young man. And that's why he is rethinking his faith and considering Christianity. And so Brian's response to this young man was to ask him to name any atheist in history who made a significant contribution in the world. But he cannot think of any. And this uh, Brian started to share, Brian Lord started to share to this young man different people. Example, Peter Clover of Columbia, who cared for the slaves and built leprosariums. Or William Wilberforce and, Clap, and the Clapham Circle, a small community of women 
and men responding uh, who dismantled the slave trade, right? Or William Booth and his care for the poor, hence the Salvation Army. Or George Mueller, one of the leaders of England's 19th century orphan care movement, okay? And there are a list of great men of God who made a difference in their nations during their time, all because of the name of Jesus, to show that the, the, the people the kind of God they serve. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, ganyan dapat ang disipulo. No? This is the picture of a disciple. No? We are either fighting at the front lines of the gospel or hiding at the sidelines of the church. Right? And so, we have to reconsider our allegiance. We have to relook into our obedience. And we have to work on our dependence. And I hope today you begin with a godly discontent. Right? If you are experiencing a spiritual slump and you stay at it for the next 10 years, where would your life be? And what value would you add into this world of suffering and pain? Right? What would your impact be in the kingdom of God if we don't rethink who we're serving, who's in charge, if we don't rethink what he expects, and if we don't learn how to depend on him, who is always available. Remember yung children choir, right? And that's our God, yung, yung kinanta nila, that God is always there taking care of us all the time. And we need not worry or fear, we just need to depend on Him. Depend on Him for life, but also depend on Him to make our life count. Right? So Jesus commissions His disciples by demanding allegiance, commanding obedience, and encouraging dependence so that they can dispel their doubts and fear and launch this global movement of making disciples of all nations, which you and I are a part of today because the task is still unfinished. <laughs> and so we need to worship this God. Now, worship indeed, but our worship requires action. They worship and yet they doubted. But as we want to worship and have greater faith so that we can do what God expects. Now, it's more than attending here on Sunday mornings or singing songs. It's living our life daily for the glory of God and for the service of our King. And that's by carrying Jesus wherever we go, carrying the message of the gospel. Now, a daily surrendering to the quickening of the Spirit, a sensitivity to see what God sees in the faces we encounter, right? And so, now that's the challenge. How is your allegiance to God? No? How is your intimacy with God? Does it need work? Or no? are you satisfied to be in that slump? How is your disciple-making? Are you into the ministry of winning others, building others, and equipping others? Are you part of a discipleship ministry in the church where you can learn how to disciple others? How is your worship? 
no? is uh, it manifesting in your daily life or just for one and a half hour every Sunday because our way of life is really reflected who we worship. So we stand here with one question. Will I be standing 10 years from now in the front lines of the Great Commission or will I stay content to hide in the sidelines of the church? No turning back. No turning back. Now we close this book with the challenge of Christ that there are people who need the gospel message, but who will tell them unless we go, unless we tell, and unless we share to them who Christ is and what he means to us. Shall we bow down our heads for a while? And if you are in a slump of some sort in your spiritual walk, in your uh, ministry life, in your commitments to God, then the Lord desires us to depend on Him to get out and get going for His sake. And if it is, that is you today, can you raise your right hand without looking at anybody and I will pray for you. And I will not even look, I will let God uh, see. And you can put your left hand on your heart, your right hand raised, and pray to God to sustain you. Lord God Almighty, each of us here would like to make ourselves available for the use of your ministry for the gospel. And yet we have fears, struggles, worries, doubt. Lord, dispel these fears, worries, and doubt that plague our lives so that we will stand in the front lines of the gospel, so that we will really embrace fully our call to finish the Great Commission. And so if there are people here who are physically weak and struggling with health, we pray for you to give us greater dependence on healing that comes from you. If we are shy to share our faith to people, Lord, give us greater boldness to be witnesses to everyone we meet. And Lord, if we are uh, uh, disconnected from the family, of the church, we pray that you help us to find the appropriate small group that will grow and nurture our commitment. And Lord, thank you that you are, your ears are not too dull to hear, your eyes not too dull to see. You are a God who listens, who sees, and desires to draw us close. So Lord, I pray that you will help us today to live our lives, to honor you, to do what you expect, to be what you intend, to be devoted to Christ, not by our own power and performance, but by your spirit and your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.